0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Over the past few weeks, we've been considering some of the hard questions that are asked of our faith. And if you remember, the premise of Uh, This series has been that our belief in Jesus does not require us to check our intellect at the door. Uh, Instead, our faith in Jesus engages every part of who we are. Uh, And for that reason, we want to think well about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Because believing in Jesus can and does raise questions, and we shouldn't shy away from those questions. Maybe they come from within ourselves, whether when we are considering whether or not we should follow Jesus, whether or not we want to continue to follow Jesus. Uh, maybe those questions come from others, people who do around us who don't share the same conviction that Jesus can and should be trusted, and so they ask us why we would hold to that conviction. And when those uh, come, we when those questions come from within ourselves or from others, we want to be equipped for how to think through those questions well. In First Peter three verses fifteen and sixteen, Peter writes, "But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared." to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And I read those verses because our goal over the course of this series has been for us to do just that, to do exactly what Peter is saying, so that we might live well in this world. And anytime time we deal with these hard questions, sooner or later, I, I think we always find ourselves landing at an issue of truth. And we have to deal with the truth well if we want to understand what we believe. And so before we uh, do anything else this morning, I will uh, um, alleviate some of your suspense a little bit, and we can circle back to Ike's children's sermon, um, if you can remember which one you thought was his lie in the midst of the two truths. Um, in case you're really on the edge of your seat right now, especially the elders, since you know, they have power over whether or not Ike works here, you can rest assured that all three of the stories Ike told during the children's sermon were lies. Um, we'll deal with the issue of what to do when, your minister, when a minister lies to you at a later date. But, but that, that's, that's the, the answer key to what Ike was sharing with us uh, earlier. But we've been wrestling in this series with what is true about the gospel, and whether or not we can believe that those things are true in the world that we live in today. Can I believe that the message of Jesus is true, even though there are people in this world who have never heard that message? Can I believe that the message of Jesus is true, even though there are parts of that message that might not be popular in our world today, such as this idea that God is just? Uh, those are the, the two questions we've considered so far, and I would encourage you if, you, if you haven't been here uh, over the course of this series, to go back and uh, listen or watch those, those sermons online, because um, I think last week especially, Fred was, was very helpful for us in thinking through these issues well. But even if we have a well-put-together answer to those questions or any other one, it won't get us very far if we don't th- think through the question that I want us to consider today. What do we do What about those who think truth is relative? What do we do with the line of thinking that what is true for me might not necessarily be true for you? We live in a world that that seems to be more and more divisive by the day. And in the midst of so much angst and so much division, we might uh, retreat and say that the easiest way to keep the peace, to deal with all the problems in our world, is to just not overstate our case and just say that at the end of the day, all you know is what is true for, for you, but I, I don't necessarily know if it's true for anyone else. Maybe the truth is just something that everyone has to figure out on their own, and we, we shouldn't um, put ourselves in a position where we're trying to impose what we believe to be true on others who hold a different conviction i have a mild form of color blindness that affects how my eyes process the colors of red and green and I'm comfortable with that at this point in my life, I've made it this far, but um, it's always interesting to me when other people discover this about me, because there's a series of questions that gets asked, and one of those questions always seems to be, well, so so what does the color red look like to you? And I don't know how to answer that. These are the only pair of eyes I've ever had. So uh, the conversation usually goes something like, I I eventually have to say something along the lines of, well, I... The color red looks like what I think the color red should look like. But I have no idea what the color red looks like to someone with fully functioning eyes. But my perception of the color red, we could say, is, is relative. It is relative to my own condition, my own experience. And, be, and the color red does not look the same to me as it does to you. At least that is what I've been told. And so... Uh, maybe, taking that, taking that thought, maybe that's how things are in our world. Uh, just like how all I'm able to say is what the color red looks like for me, maybe all we are able to say about any truth claim in our world is what is true to me, and just because it's true to me does not mean that it is true in our world as a whole or really for any other person at all. So That's the question I want us to think through today. And to try to respond to that line of thinking, I want to take it in three parts. I want to present the problem of truth. I want us to look at the person of truth. And then I want to end with focusing on the purpose of truth. I got a week off just to put together that alliteration, so um, you're welcome. But it can be offensive and unpopular to say that there is only one source of truth and you have that truth, and anyone who disagrees with you is wrong especially when when we make claims like that around issues related to religion and morality. And yet, the problem of truth is that even when it is unpopular, we need it. And to be fair, there are times where where maybe uh, we ease up on the truth, we're unwilling to emphasize our possession of absolute truth with good intention. I mean, we can be honest, we all live in the upper Midwest, which means we generally want to avoid conflict at all costs. And so uh, maybe, maybe sometimes it's best to just not emphasize that you possess the truth because then, you know, everyone just gets along a little easier if, if no one's making claims like that. I mean, that at least makes Thanksgiving go a little more smoothly. Uh, maybe it comes from a place of Humility. Of wanting to acknowledge that, you know, the world's a big place and, and, and I'm just one person. I haven't experienced everything that there is to experience in the world. And so who am I to tell someone with different experiences from a different place that I have the truth and that they don't? Maybe that, maybe that posture comes from a place of not wanting to appear too oppressive. That we can look at examples from history and see instances where someone believed they possessed absolute truth and that belief drove them to commit atrocities against people who did not believe in that same set of truths. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to end up like that. So we just don't claim to have any truth at all. We live in a world that is hesitant towards truth at best, antagonistic towards it at worst. We don't want to impose truth on others. We look at those who think they have truth and that they can impose it on others with suspicion. And that mindset can bleed into how we think about the message of Jesus. Maybe you're listening to me right now and you are a follower of Jesus and maybe you wouldn't phrase it this way right away, but if you are honest, your default assumption is that believing in Jesus works for you, but you don't... You don't make the jump to thinking that just because it works for you, it would work for anyone and everyone else. You've found comfort and encouragement from believing in Jesus, but, but maybe you, know, you think if you had been born in a different time or on a different continent, you would find that same comfort and encouragement from somewhere else. Maybe it's just up to each individual to find what works for them, and we should all be content with that. And yet the problem of truth is that we can't escape it. Because the idea that that everyone can find their own truth, it might work in theory, but it does not work in practice. The problem of truth is that even when it's unpopular, we can't get away from it. If you get pulled over for going 90 miles an hour in a, in a 55 mile an hour zone explaining to the highway patrolman that you think truth is relative and the truth that felt true to you in that moment was driving 90 miles an hour, it's probably not going to get you out of a ticket. I've never heard someone or heard of someone trying to comfort the family of a murder victim by telling them that the person that committed this crime was just acting from their own standard of truth and we all need to be okay in accepting of that. Like Fred showed us last week, we live in a world where evil exists, and when we witness evil committed by other people to us or towards others, we have a reaction that something should be done about that, and that's because we live in a world with truth, and we need that to be able to function. Without it, we have no foundations for ourselves or for our world as a whole. We need the truth it's not enough to just claim that a truth works for us, but maybe doesn't work for for someone else. If something is true enough that it is true for one person, for it to have any real value, even just for that one person, it has to be true enough that it applies to others as well. Uh, To claim that truth is relative, to say uh, there's no such thing as absolute truth, it is a self-defeating argument, because in making the claim that there is no such thing as absolute truth, you are making a claim for absolute truth. It would be like someone saying to you, don't take my advice. You, you can't follow the, the command of that statement without violating it at the same time. It's a, the statement itself is incoherent. You, you can't follow it without contradicting it. And the same is true when we say, or more importantly, when we act as if all claims of truth are relative. It's a claim that can't stand up under its own weight, and therefore we should not try to live by its standard. Living as if I have my truth and you have your truth, and it doesn't really matter how those two truths relate to one another or even if they contradict one another, it's not a functional way to live in the world. We need truth. And yet at the same time, it's not just a matter of finding a lowest common denominator that everyone can agree on. We don't just need any truth that everyone's okay with. We need the right truth. We need truth understood and lived out in The right way. And when that's what we are looking for, we don't find it in a set of teachings. We find it in a person. So if the problem of truth is that we need it, even when it's unpopular, what is the person of truth? Uh, The truth we need is not some vague general statement that looks good on a bumper sticker but doesn't really mean anything. What we find when we open Scripture is that truth is embodied in Jesus. The message of the gospel calls us to deal with Jesus and his definition of truth so that we might experience life as we were created to live. Jesus came to be the person of truth, and coming to that person of truth leads us into life with our God. So to see Jesus lay out this claim, I want to look at John chapter 14. Uh, This is the last night of Jesus' earthly life and ministry as he is uh, teaching his closest disciples about what life is going to be like after he is gone. And as you might imagine, they're unsettled by this. I mean, they've been with Jesus every waking moment for three years, and now he's saying he's going to be gone. But not only that, he's saying some odd things about how uh, he's going to the Father, and then he's going to come back, but then uh, they know the way to getting to the Father, and you can Picture the disciples looking at one another and saying, did did he give you a map? Because he didn't give me a map, and I don't understand what's happening here. And so finally, Thomas, one of the disciples, works up the courage to ask Jesus a question to clarify. In John 14, starting in verse 5, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? In verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If God is who he claims to be, the creator and the ruler of the universe, then he is the only one qualified to reveal what is true. And God has made his clearest revelation of himself, and and by extension, what is true, by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus shows us the one true way to God, the way that leads to life. And by allowing the one who created us to set the terms, we find the proper way to live and thrive in a relationship with our Creator. And we need that sort of revealed truth to us because we can't figure it out on our own. And that's true in society at large. You can learn that pretty easily by just looking back in history and seeing ideas that were considered cutting edge a hundred years ago that we laugh at today, which is probably a good reminder that a hundred years from now, the things we think are brilliant today will probably be laughed at. We see the same things in ourselves. We think about how our our own uh, thoughts and beliefs progress over time. I was trying to make this point a few months ago to some of our youth group boys, and I was saying to them that, you know, uh, I look at sermons that I wrote even five years ago, and I read them, and I think, how was I allowed to stand up in front of people and say these words? This is absurd. That anyone let me get away with this? And I said, you know, probably five years from now, I'll look at this sermon and think the exact same thing because we're always learning and growing new and, and, and progressing in our knowledge. And one of our youth group boys, I won't say who it was, because Ted McGinnis isn't here today, and Ted would hate to know that I was talking about him in front of you all. Um, so anyway, uh, he said, I, I made this statement, and he said, well, so what does that mean for us? Because we're the ones that are having to listen to these sermons that five years from now you, you're going to think aren't any good. And I don't think he realized how deep that hurt, but... The point being made is is true. Uh, The wisdom of humanity, the best, the most brilliant thing you can come up with right now, it doesn't get us very far on its own. And that's why we need revealed truth. We need Jesus. We need to allow Jesus, truth incarnate, to define what is true for us. Uh, Maybe you've heard the the parable of the blind men and the elephant. I won't read the entire, tell you the entire story, but the, the gist of the story is that there was a group of blind men walking along and they came across an elephant. And being blind men, they, they had never encountered an elephant before, didn't know what it was, and so they started trying to sort out what this thing was they had encountered together. And the first blind man goes up and touches the elephant's side. And he concludes, based on that, that, that uh, an elephant must be like some sort of wall or something like that. The second blind man comes up and, and touches the elephant's tail and, and concludes based on that that an elephant must be like some sort of snake. At least that's what it feels like. Uh, the third blind man comes up and touches the, uh, one of the elephant's tusks and concludes based on that, that that an elephant must be like some sort of spear because just, just feel this tusk. And the fourth blind man feels one of the elephant's legs and concludes that, that the elephant must be like some sort of tree. I mean, I mean this, this feels like a tree trunk I have my hands on right now. And the story goes, the, the, the point we're supposed to take away from this parable is that just like how all of these blind men, the story continues and gives a few more examples, but, but the point we're supposed to take away is that just like how all those, all those blind men were, were partially right and partially wrong, but when you put them all together, you kind of get the whole picture in the same way. That's kind of how religion works. So that we, we all have a part of the truth. We're all partially right and partially wrong, and we need all of them to fully understand who God is. Now, now there are a few flaws with with that parable. Uh, The first one being that, that the narrator of the story is apparently not blind and is able to see the whole picture, which if the parable is right, then that means that everyone's blind and we would have no idea that there is an entire picture to be able to see. But the second problem, and I think the bigger one, is that if you notice in this story, it's a one-way street. It's the blind men trying to figure out what an elephant is like, trying to reason their way to what an elephant must be like. And that is simply not what Scripture says about how God has revealed himself to us. If I can phrase it this way, our faith says that the elephant has spoken, and and the elephant has defined for us what it is. God has made himself known to us defined for us who he is, and, and called us to respond in light of what he has revealed with faith in the one who has come to embody truth himself, Jesus. And he is the one we look to for direction about who he is, about what is true, and about how we are to live in light of what is true. He is the person of truth who has come so that we might know him. So what is the purpose of this truth that is revealed and is embodied in Jesus? Maybe like I mentioned earlier, it doesn't matter what the absolute truth is if it's just going to lead to oppression. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, at least that's how the saying goes. And maybe the same is true about absolute truth. So if Jesus embodies absolute truth, and we proclaim to be able to uh, say that that is true as his followers, what is the purpose of that? If I can, I'd like to try to answer that question by looking at the two other things Jesus ascribes to himself in these verses we've read, that he is the way and the light. First, Jesus reveals the way to God and makes this way available to us through his death and resurrection and that is the lens through which we make sense of the rest of the world but it's not just a claim Jesus backed it up Uh, Jesus predicted that he would die on the cross and would resurrect three days later and then he followed through on that promise as he predicted you can visit the tombs of all kinds of religious leaders in our world today you cannot visit the tomb of Jesus I mean you can technically I guess but you're not going to find anything there and if that's the case, that Jesus said he would die on the cross and raise again three days later, and then he did just that, then we can't just put his truth claims alongside every other claim of truth made out there. There's something more going on in Jesus, with Jesus and with his teachings, because he has opened up the way for us to have a relationship with our God. He's not come to give us a set of teachings that we can take or leave if we want, that will, if we put them into practice, follow lead us down a path that will eventually get us towards God if we go about it in the right way. He has come to be the way himself. As the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And that might sound restrictive to say that he is the only way to God, but in fact, it is liberating, I want to suggest. Because apart from Jesus making the way, that means there is no way at all. And when we follow the way of Jesus, we find life. If Jesus is who we believe him to be, the son of God who has come so that we might have a relationship with our creator, then that means that when we form ourselves around the truth of Jesus, we find true life. And when I say true life, I'm not saying all your problems go away the moment you start following Jesus and you'll never even have so much as a hangnail ever again. But what I am saying is that you were created to live within the truth of God. And when we center ourselves around that truth, we are attempting to live as we were created to live, within the parameters God created for us so that we might thrive as his people. And that is what it looks like to be people who not only believe that Jesus is the definition of truth, but to be people that are formed by that truth and demonstrate through our life what that truth looks like. And that's the purpose of truth, that we would be formed by it and show the world not only that there is truth, but that truth transforms. The purpose of truth is that we would be transformed by it so that we might look like the one who embodied truth Jesus. If you say there's such a thing as absolute truth, you run the risk of being considered arrogant, close-minded, oppressive, and certainly that can happen if we go about it in the wrong way, but the antidote to that risk is not to claim that there is no truth at all, but to look at the example of Jesus, the one who perfectly embodied truth and allowed the truth of Jesus to form us into his image. When we look at Jesus, we see not only did he embody truth, but he demonstrated that truth with wisdom and with goodness. He was wise in that he defines clearly what is right and wrong, but he is also good, demonstrating what it looks like to perfectly live in light of truth. And we need both of those things. And when we look at the example of Jesus, we see both of those things brought together perfectly. We don't just need good teaching from someone who doesn't live their own standards. We have enough of that in our world as it is. And we don't just need good actions with no reason behind it because then the definition of what is true and good can shift at any moment. We need someone who is both wise and good. Someone who can speak to what is true and then demonstrate what it looks like to live in light of that truth. And we find that in Jesus. Jesus is the only truth that can be perfectly trusted, who won't use his claims to truth for his own ends, but uses it for the sake of others, including you and me. And we see that culminate on the cross. And so we follow his example as people of the truth. We believe there is such a thing as absolute truth and that we believe that absolute truth is embodied in Jesus. And yet that claim does not puff us up. Believing in the truth of Jesus and being formed by that truth opens up for us the way of service. As the one we follow did not come to conquer, he did not come to lead philosophical discussions, he came to serve in order that we might go into the world in service so that all people might know the truth of the message of Jesus. As humans, we need truth. We need truth, and Jesus is the truth we need. We don't need the best-formed opinions of fallible humans. We need truth from the one who created us, who knows us, and has died and resurrected so that we might have life with him. And that is the highest level of truth we will ever know, and it is truth that brings life. It is truth that sets right the wrongs of our world as we grow into the likeness of our God. And Paul makes this point in Colossians 2, verses 1 to 3. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, for the Colossians, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you catch that? Paul is working hard because his goal is that those reading this letter might be encouraged and united that they may experience the wealth of understanding that comes in Jesus, that they may know the mystery of God. And that mystery of God has a name, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. In him we find all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. If we want to be people who have truth, we have to start with Jesus, allowing him to set the terms for how we move in the world and moving in the world after the pattern he has set. And when we do that, we, all, we find all the things Paul speaks of in these verses, encouragement of the heart and unity and love, something that the world needs right now and that the church can model as we embody the truth of Jesus. And as we do that, We experience the riches of understanding as we come to know the truth of God. We need truth, and Jesus is the truth we need. We don't need a set of teachings that are going to make us into a slightly better version of our imperfect selves. We need a perfect person who came to show us truth and to show us how we might have life by following the way he has marked out for us. And that is the truth we need as we live in this world full of ideas about right and wrong and has no strong foundations to ground itself upon. That is how we find true life. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, first off, I am glad you're here. This is the right place to be. But I hope more than anything that all this talk about truth you will come to see is not just an intellectual matter. This isn't a philosophical discussion. It alters everything about our world. And so if you don't follow Jesus, my challenge is to think deeply, maybe even the, next, the rest of the time this morning, about who Jesus is, the claims he makes about himself, and how those claims transform how we live in the world. And that you wouldn't just do that on your own, but that you would find people to walk alongside as you do that, as you investigate the claims of Jesus and how it transforms our existence. And if you already trust in Jesus, I hope this is a time of encouragement for you to know that Jesus can be trusted. Like I said the first week of this series, I'm not telling you all this so that you can win an argument on Facebook this afternoon. I hope that you can be encouraged to continue to walk humbly in the truth because this is not just a set of teachings just for our brains. The fact that the truth of Jesus is revealed in Jesus means that responding to the truth of Jesus requires every part of who we are. If Jesus is is who we believe him to be, then he is worthy of all of our allegiance, all of our praise for all time as we walk with him in the truth. So may may we respond to that truth revealed to us in himself with every part of who we are so we might have life that we were created for with God. Let's pray. Father, In a world full of confusion and uncertainty, we are grateful to know that you have not left us to ourselves, but that instead you have sent your Son, Jesus, who came and lived a perfect life and tied so that we might be raised to new life with you. We ask that you would help us to be people of the truth, Forgive us for when those moments where we think having the truth makes us better than someone who does not, but help us to embody truth in the way that your Son did, as using it as an opportunity to serve, that we might love those around us so that they might know the truth of you as well. Form us more deeply into the image of your Son so that we might bring glory to you wherever we might go. It's in your Son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.